Hello, 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 everyone. Yes, and welcome to the Dr. Tamara Beckford Show. Okay, today I'm super excited. I get to meet with one of my senior doctors. Do you ever remember when you were in training and then you had that doctor? Yes, the one that was helping you to teach you all the ins and outs of your training. Well, this is one of mine. And I am just so honored to be able to come full circle to bring him on my show today. Now, he is in a leadership position and he's done many leadership positions since we last met. And today we are really going to dive into leadership in medicine. Have you ever thought about leadership in healthcare? Like, how do I go about it? What are some tips? Is this for me? Like, well, we're gonna find out all about that today, right here on the Dr. Tamara Beckford Show. Now, I know some of you might not be able to catch all of it, but you're like, you know what? I wanna see this again, have no fear. Go to my yourcuringdocs.com, select podcast, and you'll be able to see our guest. Just look at his face, that handsome man right there. Yes, just select, listen here, and you'll be able to hear the entire podcast interview. If you're a doctor and you want to be on the show because you have are doing amazing things inside and outside of clinical medicine also, just send me an email at drbeckford at yourcaringdocs.com to book. And do keep in mind, we are booked out three months in advance and you will see why today. So let's get into this wonderful show. Okay. So like I said, my guest, he is a graduate of the ECU Brody School of Medicine, East Carolina. That's in North Carolina. He did his residency at Thomas Jefferson University. That's right. That's where he helped to train me. Woo -woo! Thomas Jefferson. Hello to Ralph Riviello, who's now down here. Bernie Lopez and all of our wonderful docs who helped to train us during that time. Now, while after leaving um, Thomas Jefferson and learning excellent training in emergency medicine. Yes. He worked as a clinician, that's right, and began to advance in clinical and administrative roles in the Mid-Atlantic and Midwest. Eventually, he became the president of Envision's emergency medicine practice. He's been featured on various media, right? On the news, on CBC News, he's been featured on CNN, BBC, BNC News, Yahoo Finances, just to name a few. In 2022, he left Envision and established ABIG Health, right, where it's a strategic company where he helps to advise healthcare firms. Am I correct? That's right. Got it right. Not only does he do that, because most of our doctors here are just so fantastic, he's also a professor of practice at UC. UNC Chapel Hill Business School. He is a top voice and he is here to give us his top voice advice. I'm talking about the one and only Dr. Adam Brown. So good to see you today. It's as you said before, it's great to come full, full circle, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm excited to have you here. It's just, you know, you've poured into me like while I was in training, you know, I was able to come out and be able to do well. And it's part of it's the cycle that keeps on giving. You know what I mean? So you give, you pour into and then it continues on. And right before we came on, we talked about that, about like how things really go around full circle. So I'm just so happy to have you on again today. Well, thank, thank you, you so for much. having me. It was very excited to hear from you and have you reach out. And thanks for the opportunity. I'm honored. Hey, my pleasure. All right. So now, you know, we're going to get into all of the big wig things that you've done. But <laughs> before we do that, we do have to start at the beginning. 
So now let us know, what made you decide to go into medicine in the first place? So this is going to date me a bit, but going <laughs> all the way back, uh, mm -hmm. there was a show on television called ER. Yes. So like Noah Wiley and yes. um, uh, Juliana Margulies and, uh, you know, uh, uh, Clooney, George Clooney. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I hate to say it, but I really enjoyed that show a lot. Or I don't hate to say it because I'm an ER doc now. Right. <laughs> Cool. Although I don't think we ever did a heart transplant in the middle of the trauma bay as they did. On the <laughs> right. Um, so there was a little bit of a bait and switch for for us there. But um, but that was honestly something I, I really thought was like, "Ooh, this is really neat." And so when mm. I got into college, I, I I didn't actually carry that idea forward that I wanted to do medicine. But as I got into biology, I realized I really liked biology and I really liked right. chemistry. And I had planned to go into business. That has also came full circle. Right, I, full circle. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, so one of my advisors, uh, Tim Metz, said to me, listen, if you want to go into healthcare, you need to work in healthcare. And so mm -hmm. the community college is down the road. Why don't you sign up to be a nursing assistant? So I did. So I became a nursing assistant, started in the ER at 19 years old. And that's how I not only wanted to do medicine, but that's how I learned and wanted to become an ER doc. And so I've been working in an emergency department since I was 19. Wow. Wow. And you know, you're right. I do remember ER. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I remember everyone asking, is this why you want to do emergency medicine? I'm like, you know, maybe, maybe. Yeah. But I love the fact that we always say that when we... The decisions that we make are sometimes really tied into the environment that we're in right. and also what we see, you know, and uh, um, and that's why it's so important, like that we get exposed. And I love the fact that um, you were given the advice, like, listen, if you want to do healthcare, you need to be around it to truly know if this is what you want to do, because a lot of times we make decisions based on what it looks like, because like we said, the bait and switch, like, no, we're not doing our transplants in the emergency room, but we are doing a lot of exciting things there. And you decided to take that opportunity to go to the community college and then learn, you know, the art that you can learn at that time of medicine and then be able to help. So now but, while you're there, go ahead, tell me. Yeah, well, that's right. And I'll just tell you, like the first night, I remember the nervousness I had the very first night. So here I am, a nursing assistant, just working in the ER. There was no orientation. It was a very <laughs> <laughs> it's like here you go and so um we had a gunshot that night mm -hmm. in the er and we were a small seven bed emergency department in rural oh, wow. carolina and um the poor doctor that night looking back now he was a locum tenens doc that was doing i think he did like neurology and somehow was working in this er i mean this was oh gosh Okay, and, you have me having palpitations for yeah, that doctor. <laughs> exactly. And so now I completely can um, understand uh, the nervousness that he had. Um, mm -hmm. But they allowed for kind of moonlighting and that sort mm -hmm. of thing with people who had at least done their first internship year. And that's what he was. He was, I think, a second or third year neurology person, resident. And, uh, and I remember the excitement. I remember the collaboration of the yeah. team. I remember how so many people pulled together and my job was just to hold pressure. Like that was yes. it, on the wound, yes. but it felt like, I felt like I was a part of part something of it. after yes. that night, it was done. It was like, you know, can you hear about love at first sight? It was, that was it. 
That was it. And you, because you felt part of a team that did something for the greater good. It was bigger than you and your part in just holding pressure. It was an integral part, even though you're like, yeah, but that was an integral part because we all know that to stop bleeding, apply pressure. That's right. <laughs> exactly. Love it. Love it. So like you said, love it first night working in the ER as a CNA site. <laughs> so now in med school, was there any way, were there any other um, specialties that swayed you that said, you know, maybe, yeah, before so, yeah, PM I mean, solidified? I, I think well, I was very much like a lot of my other colleagues that as you went through certain rotations, mm -hmm. there were things that would resonate, you know, like I liked medicine, but I like when patients were crushing in medicine. Like I liked that, that acuity and 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 trying to fix those problems. Mm -hmm. I liked doing family practice because you got to see so many different things. I liked also making those connections with patients. Mm -hmm. I liked psych, especially when I did my emergency psych rotation in North mm -hmm. Carolina at Dorothy Dix Hospital. Like that was fun, but I didn't like as much the other kind of longitudinal management. Mm -hmm. So I went through these kind of, um, I would say there was the big overarching, like I love emergency medicine, but I certainly tried on each of those different type mm -hmm. of rotations, mm -hmm. but found within each of them, I liked the emergency medicine piece of it. And Absolutely. so, um, so, and which, I mean, you may be like this too, ER docs tend to be um, we, we're, we like a lot of different things. We, we get very bored easily. And that's not just with medicine. Like mm -hmm. you know, we do a lot of other stuff outside of medicine. Mm -hmm. and I think that's one of the big reasons why for me, this specialty really matched nicely with um, my personality and my undiagnosed ADHD. So <laughs> You know, someone yesterday, um, I was just having a conversation and I said, yeah, most emergency medicine physicians have some form of ADHD because we do like to do a lot of things. And, you know, one of the part that that I love about emergency medicine is how we're able to connect so quickly. Like mm -hmm. we meet someone and in just a snap moment in time, you're able to build that trust and be able to do such great things to help them during the times that some of their worst times, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think even, even to that, and this leans into the leadership piece that we want, we're gonna talk about today, mm -hmm. is that when you're an ER doctor or you're an ER nurse or a tech in the ER or the unit secretary, you become such an integral part of the team because you're all leaning on each other for something that you make also quick connections within the team. So it's not mm -hmm. only you make connections with your patients. Um, I, I just started at a new gig, a new shop, a new emergency department uh, two weeks ago. And it was like immediate, you know, jumped yeah. in, connecting, making jokes, you know, like, because you realize how important that is to the patient care, the flow, mm -hmm. the cohesion. And, um, and that's a part about being a leader, no matter what position that you're in. Absolutely. Absolutely. And as you're right, being able to connect and work as a team is a great portion of leadership because in order to lead, you have to build the trust of the team, right? So once you enter, you can build the trust and you can start moving in. So now with leadership, I mean, we're working as clinicians. When we leave out of residency and training, a lot of times, not too many people are thinking about entering into the space of leadership. So when did you get bit 
about a leadership bug. <laughs> so I, I, I will never forget this. I was working, I was doing internal locums for, mm -hmm. um, for Envision. It's called Envoy now. Mm -hmm. um, and I was working at a hospital in the, in the southern part of Illinois. Mm -hmm. I was working in Chicago at the time. And this was just one of like the six or seven hospitals that I would kind of float around to. And one of the charge nurses or, or maybe it was night supervisor nurses said to me, you know, Adam, you seem to really like to fix some of the other problems, like the operational problems. Would mm -hmm. you ever consider doing administration? And I was like, hell no. No, what are you talking about? <laughs> and then, then something happened, right? So <laughs> what actually happened is I started thinking through that. I started thinking about, okay, I'm seeing one patient at a time on a shift or like, you know, six or seven patients on the board at a time, whatever. And at the end of the night, I'll see my, you know, 20, 30 patients, you know, after a shift. And I started thinking about the impact that could be made if we just fixed an operational problem, a clinical quality problem. And so I thought, you know what, the only way that I can have impact over large numbers of patients is to move more in administrative direction. So I started thinking, okay, well, I can I can start to work on the quality side of things. And if I can improve how we treat sepsis patients or improve how we treat CHF patients, I'm not just taking care of one patient that I'm seeing during a shift. I'm now kind of exporting my knowledge, exporting my impact to multiples. And so that's when I started thinking, hmm. I want to move more into the leadership space. Mm -hmm. So kind of as an extension to that, mm -hmm. I also recognize that around 2010 was the Affordable Care Act, and there would mm -hmm. be a lot of changes happening on the business side of healthcare. And so I was encouraged by my husband at the time to say, hey, you probably want to think about an MBA. Mm -hmm. And so I started looking into it. And by 2012, I started my MBA at UNC Chapel Hill. And, okay. <laughs> and, uh, and, and went through that because I felt it was extremely important that if I were going to be leading teams and then I was going to be working with hospital administrators um, and then even working with other members of the team outside of the hospital, mm -hmm. I wanted to have a comfort with the language of business. I wanted to understand business theory. I wanted to feel like I could sit at the boardroom table and not only bring a business experience and acumen, but also mm -hmm. a clinical compassion acumen. Not that those are devoid from the boardroom table, it's just my perspective was different. And so, absolutely. So that's how I transitioned from wanting to make an impact on a more broad scale mm -hmm. and then going to business school, recognizing that that was a skill set that I needed. Mm -hmm. and that's how it started translating into broadening uh, administrator roles. I love it. And you know what that really attests to is one, it starts with wanting to, like you said, make an impact and recognizing that you can make an impact one to one or you can make an impact one to many. Right. Um, I'm actually reading, or I just finished reading this book, 10X is Easier Than 2X, right? You know, the Benjamin Hardy. And really, what you have just demonstrated is, is moving from the one-to-one -one or the one-to-two-x to the 10x, which is how mm -hmm. can I make an overall shift in the space? So, and it's, you know, interesting if you think about your story, 
you didn't recognize how much of an impact and the skills that you inherently had, someone recognized it in you and brought it to your attention. And you said, thank you, ma'am, but you're crazy. Let me go take care of this patient. (laughs) And then something has broke and you're like, I need to fix this. (laughs) Exactly what, I mean, it was really like that. But Mm -hmm. it also was, you know, and, and to be fair, I had, when, when she had said that to me, I was already doing like projects in the ER, like smaller, Mm -hmm. you know, take on this quality project, do that. But then that's when I started seeing the power of if you make an operational improvement, Mm -hmm. if you make an EMR easier to use, then you have the potential to start impacting more people. And that can be on the good side or the bad side, you know? And so, um, so that's really where it started. And then, you know, the business experience, I think, just really, really ratcheted that up because mm-hmm. in business school, I was surrounded by people not from medicine. I was surrounded mm-hmm. by business leaders from all the way from Goldman Sachs to Apple to Google to, you know, multiple different industries. Mm-hmm. And so I was able to import some of their knowledge yes. about scale and business and how I could apply those things to a healthcare setting, but it also gave me an awareness of mm-hmm. that sometimes the incentives within business are very different than perhaps the incentives that you or I have. Absolutely. So there, there was really a great twofer that occurred within mm-hmm. going to, to business school there. I love it. I love it that it also gives you that insider approach when there are decisions that are being made from a business standpoint that uh, the person might be unbeknownst to them because of the their lack of experience in the clinical aspect. When you can intervene and say, well, from the business aspect, it might look like this, but clinically, this is how it translates to the person. And then it helps to balance that out with you having both sides of those experience at the table, right? at the table, which is the important portion. So now let's talk about this now, the journey on you, you know, we got the inkling as to how you got there, but there are a lot of people who are thinking, and I don't know about this, but we know that it's so important to have us having a seat at the table. So what are some of your five tips for someone who is aspiring to have a seat at that table, but they're thinking, I don't know if this is for me, but they might have those inherent skills already but they're not recognizing it. Sure. No, I think it's a great question. So I believe number one Mm -hmm. goes back to what my advisor said. You need to have experience to see if this is something you like. So surrounding yourself, I'm sorry about my FaceTime going off and that was my But you have to have the experience and understand um, that maybe this is something you want to do. So that's number one. So surround yourself with advisors that can kind of give you perspective. Mm -hmm. Second, you need to have a good assessment of who your what your values are and what you need. Mm. And so when I'm advising MBA students, because I teach in the MBA program now at Chapel Hill, Mm -hmm. I looking for new careers, I always tell them to go through an assessment process where they Mm -hmm. identify what is something that in their career they really loved, and Mm -hmm. then identify the four or five themes. Like, was it that you made a lot of money? Was it that you sealed a deal and you were competitive and you beat something, someone out on something? Is Mm -hmm. it that you saved a patient's life? Is it that you did, you know, and you go through these things and you create these themes 
And once you do that, you realize, ah, is the thing I'm currently doing meeting those values or is there something in the future that could meet those values? So that's number two. Number three, I think it's important then to start the exploration process and and get that feedback. So once you start doing things, then you get the feedback of whether or not, okay, this is working or not. I'll never forget, um, you probably know him, Dr. Russ Harris. Yes. Um, um, One of my mentors Mm -hmm. said to me, Adam, if you ever want to be a medical director, you've got, and you think that you want to do it, then you need to do it. You know, you need to run your own shop. You need to run your own space. So the third thing is you got to get out there and doing it. The fourth mm-hmm. thing you've got to do is that once you start working in a space, then you still identify where are your gaps. Mm-hmm. You know, I, my um, my business school dean, Doug Shackelford at UNC, he's the past dean, said, you don't come to business school to build your peaks higher. You come to business school to fill your valleys. Mm-hmm. And I really, really thought that was extremely important for me because I thought, okay, great. Yeah, I'm I, do well in communication, I do great in leadership development, that sort of things. But I thought that it was even more important for me to do things that I wasn't as great at. So Mm -hmm. I minored in accounting. I did I did a whole accounting minor in in business school, something I had no experience in. Mm -hmm. And the fifth thing is you have to be willing to pivot. Mm. Sometimes things just aren't working. And that may be for the moment, that may be for that may be time. Mm -hmm. But when dissonance, it's okay to be uncomfortable, but it's Mm -hmm. not okay to be uncomfortable for a very long time and just kind of getting stuck in that space. Yes. Because life is too damn short. Mm -hmm. We know life is short and you and I see life curtailed all the time (laughs) unexpectedly. Mm -hmm. And so you certainly, I don't care what job you're in or what you're doing, but if you are unhappy for a long period of time, make some changes and lean on those other four things that I just mentioned to make some of those changes. So that was the five tips yeah. that kind of I leaned on and kind of helped me through my transition into mm-hmm. leadership into business. I love it. I love it. You know, one of the great things that you mentioned um, is if you want to do this, you need to do it. So if you want to be <laughs> in a space, and, and if you really think about it, there's a lot of fear that holds people back from even making those leaps. Right. And um, fear can be crippling, but the antidote of fear is action, right? So right. you have to take the action. And then, as you mentioned, even along the way, as you're taking those actions and you realize that you have some gaps, you fill those gaps. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. I I believe that 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 is where it gets really uncomfortable sometimes. Like for example, you may know you're on the right train, you're mm-hmm. heading the right direction. You know that that's the terminus where you want to go, the end point, or that's the vacation where you want to go. Mm-hmm. You just may be in the toilet, in the seat beside the toilet mm-hmm. that's really narrow and not very comfortable and doesn't recline. Exactly. You know, sometimes to move and go to a different seat. Sometimes. Mm-hmm even knowing that the direction is the same. Yeah. It's getting really tight and understanding kind of where do you want to go mm-hmm. and really help you also recognize that I may be experiencing a moment of discomfort, mm-hmm. but that's okay because I know ultimately the direction I'm going. Residency is a great example. Yes. There were moments so of discomfort. 
<laughs> there was three years of discovery. So actually, I had a pretty good residency. For, uh, yeah, we definitely did. But there were certainly moments that, that mm -hmm. I could look back and say, like, this is not a great experience. I'm not enjoying this. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. Mm -hmm. uh, but I knew that the light at the end of the tunnel, I'm using a lot of metaphors, but I knew that the end point was going to be very different. Absolutely. And, and that's a piece that I want to make sure people understand here as clinicians, which I'm assuming mm -hmm. the audience here is mostly clinicians that are listening. Yes, absolutely. That I think one of the one of the drivers of burnout is people feel trapped. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. They feel like I'm in this spot. I can't get out. I don't know where to go. There's mm -hmm. a lot of other opportunities out there, a lot. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, there's not a lot of people that are telling about all the different opportunities. Like I spent a long time looking at all the different potential opportunities that physicians, nurses, PAs, nurse practitioners could go into. Mm -hmm. And I think that gives you a different terminus, a different endpoint. Yes. If you're in the stinky seat on the train that doesn't recline, you know that- Shift you, to another seat. She, shift. And that mm -hmm. your point will be still a positive endpoint. Absolutely. You know, interestingly, so I just connected with one of um, our residents too, um, Dr. Lisa Watts. And yes, yes, I know. Yeah, Lisa, yeah. And, you know, she mentioned, she says, like, you know, she's not working clinically at this time. She has shifted to another seat, but she's still contributing to healthcare. She's still helping, you know, out there. And she's satisfied and she loves the position that she's in right now. Mm -hmm. And I am glad that you mentioned um, how this contributes to burnout, because you're right. One of the contributing factors to burnout is really feeling stuck and feeling like there is no way out. And this, the infamous, is this all that there is? There is. Mm -hmm. And the answer is no. You know, you have the ability to shift, but you just have to be able to step back look at the options that lies out there, which is um, one of the other things, like we said, take that action, realize that you can shift, see where your gaps are and fill in the gaps. And, you know, know that that you have that ability within you to make those changes and so that you can, you know, have that life that you want. So, you know, I see that you're a visionary. And with that, you have not only been skilled with looking at the here and now, but also looking beyond in the future. So based on that, where do you see healthcare going within the next five years? Wow, that is a tough question. <laughs> um, so let me speak from the business side. I yeah. think that we are going to continue to see more vertical integration. What mm -hmm. that means is, is that larger healthcare companies like mm -hmm. United Health Group, um, like Aetna, CVS, mm -hmm. uh, like Cigna, they are going to be buying up physician practices, buying up retail establishments, buying up technologies. So let me just ex let me just make sure because there may not be a lot of people that know this. Mm -hmm. um, so United Health Group mm -hmm. owns United Healthcare Insurance. United, yeah. They also own Optum Physician mm -hmm. Services, and they own Optum RX which is a pharmacy benefits manager. Mm -hmm. And in addition to that, they own an adv the advisory board, the old advisory board. Mm -hmm. um, they are one of the largest physician practices now, over 70,000 physicians now part of Optum. Um, 
In addition, they own numerous um, numerous other type of practices, uh, mm -hmm. you know, practice sites. Mm -hmm. So um, when you kind of look at the amount of dollars that United Healthcare uh, Group had in revenue last year, it was over $300 billion. With a B. With a B. And their profitability was over $20 billion. And if people mm -hmm. want to check my numbers, I just, it's a shameless plug, just had an article released yesterday in MedPage Today that talks about the vertical integration that's happening in healthcare. Mm -hmm. And that's not stopping. There's mm -hmm. nothing right now that's kind of putting the brakes on some of that. So what I believe will happen is I think number one is we will continue, continue to see vertical integration. We will continue to see these vertical like monopolies mm -hmm. with like CVS owning Aetna, but also owning Minute Clinic and Caremark. And, you know, we'll mm -hmm. still see that happening. We'll see hospital systems, I believe, starting to merge and get larger because mm -hmm. that gets them negotiating power with suppliers and with mm -hmm. the payers. Third, I think we will also see a growth in technology enablement within healthcare. So mm -hmm. um, doing some work right now looking at AI and artificial intelligence within the healthcare space. Mm -hmm. um, I think the challenge for AI in healthcare is the cost. Mm. But over time, there will likely be a, a ROI, a, a return on that investment. So I think that will grow. Fourth, I do think there needs to be, and this is more of a hope than I think this will necessarily happen, but there'll be a little more regulatory oversight over these large verticals and conglomerations. Because what that's doing is it's limiting the power of clinicians mm -hmm. and nurses, physicians, you know, in the space. Mm -hmm. The thing I think will happen is we'll continue to sadly see shortages throughout the end of the year um, mm -hmm. within, uh, with not only physician staffing, um, mm -hmm. but also nursing staffing. And mm -hmm. all of that, those are not all wonderful things, depending no. on where you sit as a stakeholder. Yes. Um, I also think, and this is a sixth thing, we'll continue to see worse outcomes. As mm -hmm. we just reported came out today that we're seeing worsened outcomes with maternal health greater disparities in healthcare, shorter yes. life expectancies, um, especially with um, with black and brown patients. Like mm -hmm. we are seeing some of the ills of the system mm -hmm. because of where the dollars are, are, are going and where the dollars are not. Mm -hmm. Now to fix the system, there's mm -hmm. a lot of other things that we could say, but what my hope is, is my hope is that we have some regulatory controls that start to shift the incentives within mm -hmm. healthcare so that it's not so much fee for service, that mm -hmm. it's not so much the we're going to support only the things that are making us money, we'll support yes. the other preventive care type things. Mm -hmm. And I also hope that we'll start to see more clinicians engaged in the business so that there is more of an ethical, moral response to what's happening in healthcare on the business side. So those are kind of like, those are the six things I think will happen and the three things that I hope will happen. That we hope, yes. So, so that's my answer on that. I love it. I love it. And you're right. In the, and you know, it goes back to what we we're talking about at the beginning is having a seat at the table. Because once you have a seat at the table, then you can be able to help with that, like we said, the ethical response in addition and be able to balance out from, you know, where the finances, the money is driven in order to help with the outcome. So the outcome, financial advantage outcome is great. But then if we really think about healthcare, the first part of healthcare is health. The second part is care. Right. Right. <laughs> it's, 
<laughs> so, you know, it, it's important that um, we can increase um, the life expectancy. We can um, decrease the mortality and things like, um, like maternal medicine. Um, you know, maternal outcomes, it's scary. And, you know, if you really think about it too, that should be the happiest, one of the happiest times in someone's life, but for it to be the scariest time to wonder, am I going to make it through to the other side? That's something we really need to um, put into our, one of the forefronts of our minds for the moms there. Now, yeah. oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No, 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 no. I, I just yeah, got I, off my soapbox. <laughs> one of my OB attendings once said that pregnancy is not a disease state. It is mm -hmm. a state of being for women. And I don't know that that's the case, mm -hmm. especially with the mortality rate as high as it is. Mm -hmm. and, and especially with the complications rates as high mm -hmm. as they are. Mm -hmm. In our country, which allegedly has the most expensive, or not allegedly, has the most expensive healthcare system, but the greatest, some of the huge, biggest disparities that there are. So, Absolutely. you know, to your point, it's about health and care. And unfortunately, we're kind of missing the mark in mm -hmm. a lot of that space, especially when it comes to um, mortality around um, maternal and fetal rates. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that I um, like loved about you, you're, you are not only experienced, but you're a doer. <laughs> so we've talked about it. These are some of the things that's happening, but you're not just going to sit and talk. You're going to do. And one of the things that you have done is that you have established ABG, ABIG Health. So tell us more about it. And, you know, what is the role that you see that ABIG can have in healthcare? Sure. Well, thanks for that question. Um, so, you know, I we had talked a little bit about this. You know, I moved up in administrative roles and and then became president of um, mm -hmm. the emergency medicine service at Envision, mm -hmm. and that you know that was a responsibility where we had over six hundred and fifty plus emergency departments, fifteen thousand mm -hmm. clinicians, and then from that role, I, I moved into a broader role, kind of working on clinician engagement, recruitment, government affairs type activities at Envision mm -hmm. in twenty twenty one. And I, you know, I just have to first say I had a great experience there. I met some amazing people, made really great friends. Um, and, uh, and it was a really tough decision to try to leave somewhere that I had worked for over since essentially 2007, 2008. Um, okay. And it had been my home. However, I also started recognizing that there was some opportunity and to use so many of the skills that I had gained, not only in business school, but, um, but in the business role where I was doing operational work and clinical quality improvement and recruitment. And then another big thing happened in 2020, and that was COVID. And that's mm -hmm. where I got much more engaged in the mm -hmm. clinical and marketing, uh, clinical communication side of things. And so I had been approached at, early, at the end of 2021 by a colleague and mentor from the business side of things in business school and said, you know, have you ever thought about wanting to work with healthcare startups or with private equity firms or with investment firms or with hospitals as a strategic advisor, as a chief medical officer, and step out of kind of the space that you were in and start to work in some of these other areas? And I thought about it and thought about it. And then I thought, you know what? I went to business school. I've always wanted to own my own business. I've wanted to build my own team. I've wanted to right. do my own things. And so um, I announced that in, um, I think, early February that I was going to be leaving Envision and 
uh, starting a new chapter. And the day I left Envision, the official day I left, was also the day my LLC came through. And I was very proud to get that certificate for ABIG Health and yes. um, started on the process of building a consulting firm. And so mm -hmm. to, that was a little bit of a wind up, but to answer your question, I think that some of the greatest ways that we can make an impact on patients is to start working with the businesses that are trying to impact patients patient as well. Care. Yes. So, <laughs> the patient care. So whether that's a device company, whether that's investment firms investing in healthcare companies. Um, and so that was the thesis that mm -hmm. I had. And then I started having other people reach out to me, past colleagues that I had worked with said, hey, I, I, you know, I see that you've left Envision. Are, would you like to work together? I have some ideas and we were very aligned. So the team of um, the five of us mm -hmm. as, as all partners started ABIG or they joined as partners after I started it. And so I have a, a, an ex-hospital president, someone who's worked in revenue cycle, credentialing and offshoring, a project manager. I have a, a whole communications team that helps support me as well. And so what we've been doing is we've been working with investment firms on some of their strategies. Um, I'm working as a fractional chief medical officer for a company, you know, allotting some of my time there. Um, also, another one of my partners is working with that company as well. Uh, we've been also looking and working with other hospitals on some operational improvement projects. And so mm -hmm. There's a number of different things that we are doing, pulling together our expertise to try to make a bigger impact on patient care and infuse that compassion with capitalism idea into uh, many of the companies that we are working with. And so that's kind of where it, where it started. But I'll tell you, you know, this goes back to my original statement as, a, as an ER doc, we like a lot of different things. I did that as, that that process of looking back through my career of what were the things that made me happiest. Mm -hmm. They were teaching, they were working clinically, they were doing communications and teaching like through media. Yeah. They were doing business strategy and analytics and, and working with the operations. And so I'm like, I'm owning my own company now. Why don't I do those things? I'm writing for MedPage now. I have a column in MedPage, so check it out, folks. Uh, prescriptions for a broken system. I teach at University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill in the MBA program. I'm going to be teaching soon in Europe. Um, I've got a, a fractional CMO role, and I work with a, a couple of nonprofits. And so, you know, I've taken all of these experience and created my own portfolio mm -hmm. of my own life. Mm -hmm. And if I could quantify the happiness from where I was in January of 2022 to where I am in June of 2023, off the charts improvement and, uh, and so much happier. So I encourage them to think about that as they are uh, wanting to, I, I recognize my privilege in being able to do that. I recognize that I was in a special place to be able to do that. Um, and not everybody can do that. And I want that for them. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. it starts first with being able to even step back and assess, am I in the right place? Am I on the right train? Am I on the right seat? Am I really where I want to go? And then, and then assess where your skills are. Okay. So what you have just discussed and, you know, is what I just finished reading about, like I said, the 
there's a book, 10X is Easier Than 2X by Benjamin um, Hardy and um, Dan Sullivan. And what you have just shown us is how you 10X'd your life within a year. Yes. And so, and another portion is by the book discusses about your wants and being unapologetic about your wants. So not having to say, this is what I want. And I don't have to apologize. I don't have to justify it. These, and you just checked your boxes, went after it. And 10X. Let me tell you, I um, I also practice clinically. I, I, I miss that. Yeah, no, 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 no. I, I caught that in the earlier portion. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so another thing I want to leave with folks, and this is a little controversial, and especially to people in the HR and people in culture world. So those should kind of like cover the areas a little bit. But, <laughs> um, we have to remember mm-hmm. that our job, where we get a paycheck from is a transactional relationship. Service. It is transactional. Yes. You don't go there for nothing. Mm-hmm. You get paid for it. Now you may make micro volunteer things happen. Like you may take a phone call on a weekend when you're off. You may work extra and not, not bill for that or get paid for that because you love what you do and you're okay with it and you love the place but it is transactional. You are there because you are getting a paycheck. The converse is also true. You are there because someone else is getting a value from you. Mm-hmm. Like you are, you are on a spreadsheet providing a service for a cost. Mm. And for some reason in our culture, we have been completely unwilling, I think, and it's changing. I shouldn't say completely, but we, we have been unwilling to sit back as employees and to say, wait a minute, um, I'm being taken advantage of, or I'm not liking what I'm doing, or I don't like this pay cut, or I don't like this return to office business. I really enjoyed my life. Or what's happening in my job is disrupting my, my happiness. We've been unwilling to do that because we've been so focused at time on, this is my job, this is what I do, this is my life, this is my, my title, right. this is who I am. It's not who you are. Because as soon as a company doesn't make money or as soon as a new leader comes in and they have different priorities, it's actually not personal because they aren't oftentimes, oftentimes thinking of you as an individual person. Are you making your light bills? Mm -hmm. They are seeing like transactionally how this is going to help move the needle for them. And that's okay, but it can't be a one way street. Right. So I encourage folks to recognize Mm -hmm. that, you know, we are doctors. We have letters in front and behind our name. It is a part of who we are, Mm -hmm. but not necessarily where we work or the exact type of work that we do is exactly all we are. And that can shift and change to match our needs, to match Mm -hmm. our familial needs, to match our psychological needs. Mm -hmm. I think that is some really permission yeah. that you as doctors, you as clinicians, you as employees out there need to recognize mm-hmm. is if the job is not meeting your needs, it is a J-O-B. And <laughs> the friends that you have made there, some of them will stay, some of them will leave. Mm-hmm. And 
But uh, conversely, if you're getting a lot out of the job, if you're loving it, you feel engaged, you're making the impact, then keep at it. Yeah. Because those jobs don't come around all the time. Absolutely. I so love I, it. I just want to make sure that people under, and that's why this goes back to why I think doctors need to understand the business of healthcare. Mm-hmm. Because then they don't necessarily feel trapped because they see all the other opportunities that are out there. They have the connections that are out there. They see the uh, see the gaps in healthcare, so they know what problems to fix. Because doctors and nurses like to fix things. Yes. So that's where I really think that I, I would love to see a little bit of a shift in the healthcare industry. Is that there's a recognition on the employer side that. Folks don't have to stay. We mm-hmm. need to, we need to protect our team. We need to engage our team because it is a transactional relationship. Mm-hmm. And we need to, we want to make it less transactional, more relational. Mm-hmm. You know, and meeting the needs of the providers and meeting the needs of the of, of uh, clinicians and staff. On the flip side, it has to happen on the other side too. Yes. So I, I hope that's a message I that, that will come out loudly and clearly. Absolutely. You know, one of the part that really touched me is that you said being a doctor, clinician is who we are, but not all we are. Exactly. So we have additional skill sets, you know, you and and also another part that is touching me is when you said being able to step back and see where are the gaps and be able to help to create solutions to fill these gaps because we are fix it for people who like to fix things. And, um, you know, the training, a lot of us go into medicine because we care and we have that caring nature. And when a patient comes to us, every single time a patient comes to us, we are fixing a problem. That's right. To help that patient's life in some way or another. So we are trained to fix. And we shouldn't forget that. That's right. But it doesn't always have to be fix, fix something only within the confines of a hospital or clinic during the hours of your shift. There's a lot of things that folks can do. And I get encouraged when I do see other doctors like yourself. I mean, Mm -hmm. doing a podcast, doing a a, a webinar, getting out there on social media to talk about healthcare. I mean, that has an impact factor. Mm-hmm. And that gives, I'm sure, you energy because I can see it. <laughs> yes, you can. There are things. Yes. And if you can think outside of the of the train track you were placed on. Absolutely. You know, when you took your MCATs that oh, you yeah. never really could divert from. No. You realize you can divert off this train track. You can get on another train. You can leave and get on another train. You know, it it does, it does um, I, I think, uh, wonders. And, you know, I can attest to what you're saying because I get asked this frequently. Even today, I had a conversation with a a lovely person that I met on LinkedIn. um, And I get this very, ask this question very frequently. It's like, where do you get the energy from? How is it can you, you can do this? And, you know, and part of it is being able to work not just in clinical, but outside of clinical medicine, because each gives me the drive to do the other one. So I get energized, you know, to go back to work. And then I get energized to come and do the non-clinical work. Yeah. And so I feel balanced. 
And therefore, my happiness has increased tenfold. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, so you're right. Really look, taking a step back, checking the boxes of what um, me, your meaning, what is your, almost like Simon Sinek's, what's your why? What is it that you like to do? Yeah. You know, and being able to look at how uh, the train track that you're on right now and is this train going in the direction to get me to what I love and want to do? And if not, what can I do to course correct? Exactly. Last thing, or well, I don't know if this last thing, but just to drive that home that point, mm -hmm. I, I was at the ophthalmologist this morning, so my pupils may look a little bit large. But, <laughs> but you know, um, my ophthalmologist who I've known for years said to me, he goes, hey, you know, so tell me what's going on. And we were kind of having this conversation and he goes, you're doing a lot of different things. And I said, yeah, but they all ladder up to the exact same North Star. Mm -hmm. and that is to make an impact on healthcare. So whether that is through my writing, whether that mm -hmm. is through media appearances, whether that is through education, whether that's taking care of patients at the bedside or interfacing with business leaders um, and helping them with their business strategy so that it helps patients while also yes. making a profit, then all of those things go to my North Star. Absolutely. And so that, when I, when I knew my North Star, and then I knew the values that I needed to, the boxes and values I needed to check off to get me there, that was exactly the thing that gave me energy. Yes. And when I, you know, when I, looked at my old job and I lined up those values, I was like, I mean, these are not like political values. These are values mm -hmm. like, do I like to teach? Was I teaching? No. Okay. Well, maybe I need to teach. Mm -hmm. Or did I like to do X and was I doing Y? You know, that that's what I needed to do to make that assessment. So, and now all of those portfolio activities go up to my North Star. And like you said, once they start to align, then that's where you get the energy. So okay. now talking about energy, I have a question. So we talk about being able to get all of these um, values that you hold dear to you to align um, in order to get the energy to you're in the, that space right now. But have you ever been in a space where you felt burned out? Oh, that you felt <laughs> that is that, and what did burnout look like for you when you look back at it? Um, so it there's kind of two phases of burnout. I had some burnout that would occur when I was working clinically, like if I did a string of overnight shifts, mm -hmm. um, I would say that was on a continuum of burning out, like mm -hmm. I could feel that happening because I would be shorter, I, I was less tolerant of things. Mm -hmm. Um, I got frustrated more easily. And I think sleep was also a major component of that too, because I wasn't right. sleeping and I wasn't exercising. I gained weight. Like a lot of things had happened there. Mm -hmm. That was on a continuum. And, and that's also one of the reasons why I thought doing more administrative work and kind of checking off other values boxes would help. And it did. Mm -hmm. But then more recently, being burnout for me also looked like sadness. Like mm -hmm. I had periods of just, I described it to one of my closest friends that I felt dark, like mm -hmm. I felt a darkness inside and that a light had gone out that I normally would have. Mm -hmm. And I think that that was a big shift mm -hmm. that I, I, you know, that I felt. And so that's why I can say like psychologically, I almost have a quantitative metric that I mm -hmm. can say I knew at this time, 
you know, yes. a year and a half ago where I was and I know where I am now. Mm -hmm. And and so I think to to answer that question is burnout looks a little differently for different people. Yeah. Some it may come out as anger. Some I mm -hmm. think it may come out as depression. Mm -hmm. um, some can come out as suicidality, of course. Mm -hmm. um, some can come out as being more um, a dis, a disengaged. Disengaged, absolutely cynical. Cynical, yeah. And that's and and so now that I have seen it in mm -hmm. myself, I mm -hmm. know even though I, I, I was in a different space and a different role, I now know kind of what, what the signs are to yes. look forward to it and lead up to it. But I think it comes on folks and it certainly came on me pretty insidiously, very quietly. Yeah, I call it a tiger that like creeps in the bushes. Yes. And by the time you look, you've already been pounced upon. But if you looked around, then you might see the bushes ruffling a little bit. So okay. you have to just be aware. So now that you've had it, you can recognize some of the signs within yourself and say, mm -hmm. wait a minute. If we start checking these additional boxes, I, I see where this is going. So now I need to ensure to, you know, do the necessary steps to bring myself back in order to not get in that territory again. So I love it. Alrighty. So I'm going to bring us to my fun question okay. of the day. <laughs> Alrighty. So I have to now think about it. So if you weren't a doctor, a leader in healthcare, um, a professor, let me think of what else have you mentioned? So I usually pull everything out that you've done. <laughs> um, a business guru, <laughs> what would you be? Oh, probably I would love to work for a network in like a news network oh, in some it. type of, uh, well, if I weren't a doctor, you can still do like some type of medical correspondence. And so yeah. I, I think there's so much power that can be had for good mm -hmm. in messaging things correctly for people so that people can understand information. And that's mm -hmm. a lot of what we do as doctors, of course. Yeah, that's true. Um, we translate a lot. <laughs> exactly. It's a lot of translation. But I, I think for me, Mm -hmm. That uh, communication space is a space that I, I really enjoy. And so um, if I if I weren't a doctor or not doing business, I probably would want to go that direction. Who knows? Okay, so a news correspondent. I think so. I mean, okay. I'm building a utopia. So this, I asked all my doctors and of all it's almost 200 doctor interviews that I've been. So I'm building this utopia. So I'm putting you as my news correspondent in this utopia in my mind. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I've had I've had some photojournalists. I've had travel journalists. So I'm putting you in there with my um, with my media crew. <laughs> Yeah. I, I, and, and as a correspondent, you know, you see some people on like CNN or MSNBC where they're, you know, they're experts in their space. They're not like the anchor. They're brought in to kind of like comment on, you know, X subject matter. And I, yes. I think that's probably where I would like to be. I so. love it. I love it. And, you know, with that, I want to, I know there are a lot of people who are watching this and, you know, this was an excellent interview and I really do thank you for taking the time because you've thank given you. us a lot of great information and I love the honesty um, of which you have provided this info being in the clinical space, being in clinical leadership. Um, a lot of people might be a little bit hesitant to tell, you know, clinicians to go after what you want. <laughs> 
and be able to live the life you want. But you've also um, created this um, wonderful company and you're, you're writing, you're, you're a professor, you're doing all these things. So people probably like, how can I get in Dr. Adam Brown's space? Where can I find him? Where can I find his articles? Where can I um, find this company, ABIG Health? You know, I know someone who I'd probably love to connect him with. Please let them know where can they find you. So the number one place to find me is on LinkedIn, actually, because mm -hmm. I have a large following on LinkedIn. So it's Adam Brown, MD, MBA. That's, uh, that's where you can find me on mm -hmm. LinkedIn. Um, the second place is at my website, www.abighealth.com. Mm -hmm. And I have a biweekly newsletter that comes out with the top 10 things you need to know that are happening in healthcare. It's not uber business wonky. It does. It's written for people in the healthcare space. But it's a way for you to see kind of what's happening, what trend lines are happening. And then from there, I oftentimes will highlight the articles that I've written in MedPage. So, um, so you can, of course, check me on MedPage today. Love it. Love it. Love it. Any last words of advice for those who are watching? You have dropped so many gems. I think <laughs> I'm just going to pull one more out. <laughs> yeah. You have one life. Yes. You can't return it. There's no refund. There's no exchanges. Mm -hmm. So with that being said, make it make it the best life that you can you can absolutely make it. Yes. Um, and I think if you pair that with mm -hmm. the statement that I was making before about mm -hmm. the importance of, you know, not being uncomfortable mm -hmm. for long periods of time because life is short, especially without intention. Mm -hmm. Discomfort with intention is one thing. That's yes. what going to a trainer is. Yes. You know? <laughs> That's discomfort with intention. But discomfort without intention in a long period of time, it's just not worth it because life is short. Absolutely. And uh, when we say life is short, for those who are listening, we're saying it from the standpoint of not just business, not just healthcare, but also from the standpoint of physicians who are there in the emergency room and see the snap decisions that occur and life lost. Yep. Or altered significantly. Or altered significantly. So live this one life that you have to the fullest. We are all meant to maximize the life that we have. So don't hesitate to do that. Thank you so much, Dr. Adam Brown. It is great connecting with you again. I definitely need to make sure that we see each other in person. Yes. Yes, we have to make that happen. Now, I know we had some people in the chat. I do want to give um, a shout out and some thank you to someone said, Adam helped me. Oh, train as a physician. So I'm excited to chat with him. Um, we have um, someone saying, oh, that was me. We're giving our shout out to Ralph and Bernie and Cynthia. And then um, if you're an unhappy for a long period of time, it's time to make some changes. Yes, yes, yes. All righty, everyone. I know that you have a, I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Thoroughly enjoyed same, same. <laughs> So if you're just tuning in and you're like, where can I get all of this info? Where can I get this conversation? Just go to my Your Karen Docs website. That's U-R-C-A-R-I-N-G-D-O-C-S.com. Select podcast. You'll see Dr. Adams for face. Boom. 
click listen here and you'll be able to catch this entire interview. As I mentioned before, if you are a doctor doing exciting and amazing things inside and outside of clinical medicine and you'd like to be on the show, send me an email at drbeckford at yourcaringdocs.com to book. Keep in mind, we are booked out three months in advance because of amazing doctors like this one. Have you seen him? You see what I'm talking about? Right there, Dr. Adam, amazing things inside and outside of clinical medicine. Now, as he mentioned, us clinicians, we want to make sure you have a seat at the table. Do not hesitate to go into leadership so that you can be able to balance out the seats at the table. In addition to that, live your life to the fullest, live it to the max. Remember, you only get one life. So make sure that it aligns with everything that you want. Yes. Did I get it? You got it. Love it. All righty. Thank you guys for watching and I will see you guys next time. Bye. See you. Bye.